Please turn your Bibles to uh, Romans chapter 1 with me if you would. It's right after the book of Acts. We're making our way through the Gospel of Luke and taking a, a few detours uh, over the, the last few weeks. We've come to the part in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 16, verse 18, where Jesus talks about divorce and uh, remarriage. He says, everyone who divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery, and he who marries a woman divorced from her husband commits adultery. And so before we begin diving into that verse, we've talked about some things that we need to understand, some foundational truths, and, and, and maybe I'm just procrastinating, but we are going to get there. We are going to get to verse 18, but last week we looked, first of all, at Genesis chapter 2, and we talked about some some biblical foundations, some God's design for marriage and, and sexuality. And then this week, uh, we're in Romans chapter 1, and we're going to be talking about deviations from God's plan for marriage, God's plan for sexuality. Why are there those deviations? And uh, I, I, unless God is, uh, has a different plan for us, I, I don't believe we're going to get through all of, of these verses this morning. And so we'll, Lord willing, take it up again next week. And then we'll come back to Luke 16 and really dive into verse 18. But obviously, I believe these are very essential truths for us to understand in, in this culture in which we currently live. It's always been true, whatever culture we live, but I think it's especially relevant in what's going on in our culture today. And so we're going to look at Romans chapter 1 instead of looking at Luke 16 this morning. And uh, hopefully you've all made your, there, your way there to, to Romans chapter 1. And if you would, uh, stand with me as we read God's words together, beginning in Romans 1, uh, verse 16, through the end of the chapter. Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and also to the Greek. For in it, that's in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his eternal attributes, namely his eternal, his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature, and the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. 
And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. You may be seated. May our hearts be convicted and changed by God's word. And let's pray that God would continue to bless our time this morning as we worship him. And Father, that is our prayer that our hearts would be changed, that our lives would be altered as we seek you, that we would seek not our idolatrous conception of you, but who you truly are, that you would be merciful to us, you'd allow us to see your face, to know who you are, respond with, with worship of our great and glorious God. We pray this in your son Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> My wife, Whitney's 89-year-old grandfather, recently gave the family a little bit of of cause for concern. Last July, uh, Grandpa Bob's wife of over 60 years, Grandma Jean, passed away. And after she passed away, uh, Grandpa Bob moved in with my in-laws. And my mother-in-law, over the last few weeks, noticed that Grandpa Bob was, was gone for long periods of time. He'd say he was leaving the house, and he'd be gone for, for hours. He'd, he'd be gone into the late hours of the night, uh, 7.45, 8 p.m., um, <laughs> late being a relative term, of course, for an 89-year-old. But he'd be gone, and, and so uh, Whitney's mom began to worry about, about Grandpa and, and what was going on, and Grandpa realized what was going on, and, and he knew the family was concerned that maybe this was the early stages of dementia or something, and, and so he, he fessed up to Whitney's sister. He told her uh, that he has a girlfriend, that he has been dating on the sly, if it, as it were, a lady from his, his church, and just uh, two days ago, they announced that next month they are getting married, which is very exciting, right? And far from being a a cause of concern or far from being kind of a a slight on on Grandma Jean, what I believe is this. Grandpa Bob and Grandma Jean had uh, as close as you can get to the ideal marriage, I believe. They practiced companionship. They practiced sacrificial love. Their marriage was just a model of, of what a marriage is supposed to look like. And Grandpa Bob understands what marriage is, he understands the beauty of marriage, and and he wants to participate in it again. It's a beautiful thing. May all of us, whether we are married or single, may all of us pursue God's plan for our lives the way that that Grandpa has. Whether we be called to to singleness at this time in our lives or marriage, whatever whatever state we find ourselves in, May we pursue God's plan for us with the joy and the success that that Grandpa has. Last week, we talked about God's design for marriage and God's design for for sexuality. And what we saw is that that God has a a plan for our lives and we're to, to act in accordance with God's plan. 
And what I would suggest to you this morning is that one of the greatest threats to your life in terms of pursuing God's purpose for it in in relationship to marriage and sexuality, one of the greatest spiritual threats you face is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality. And what we see in Romans chapter 1 this, the central idea that I want you to grasp as we look at these verses together this week and next is that your immorality, your immorality begins with idolatry. Your immorality begins with idolatry. The practice of, of sexual immorality begins by having a wrong perception of who God is and worshiping a false god. Idolatry leads to immorality. Immorality begins with idolatry. And I would venture to say, I'm confident in saying, that this is a message this morning that every single person in this room needs to hear. Everyone to some degree, struggles with immorality. Every woman, every man, every person struggles with immorality to some degree, in some way. We think things that we shouldn't think. We do things we shouldn't do. We have attitudes that we shouldn't have about sexuality. All of us, to one degree or another, struggle with sexual immorality. And I don't believe that it is simply a coincidence that we're covering this subject on Father's Day. Because men, I believe that, that men especially, sometimes find themselves in, in the bondage of, of sexual immorality. The, the, their sin, their sexual lives, controls their lives to, to an astounding degree. And, and men, maybe today, Father's Day 2012 is the day that you man up. And today becomes a watershed day in your life where you say, no longer. No longer am I going to practice idolatry. No longer am I going to engage in worship of myself. I'm going to be confronted with the beauty and the glory of God and engage in worship of him. And immorality is going to no longer have the foothold in my life that it does today. And you can begin the process of sanctification. What I want to do is go through these verses, and again, it's going to take us some time, but I want us to go through these verses, and what we're going to need to do, we're not going to start in verse 16, we're actually going to start in verse 18, and we're going to talk about idolatry, and then we're going to talk a little bit more about immorality, and and then we're going to go back to to the gospel in verses 16 and 17 and see that the hope the gospel provides us in Christ. We're going to see the, the hope that the gospel provides us in, in Christ as we go back to verses 16 and 17. But let's begin in verse 18. And what I want us to see, first of all, is this about idolatry. Number one, idolatry is rejecting God and worshiping ourselves. There's a lot we could say about idolatry, but one of the key points to understand about idolatry is that idolatry is rejecting God and worshiping ourselves. And let's look at verse 18. In verse 18, Paul says this. He says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And what Paul is saying here is that God's wrath is a reality for some people, for unrighteous people. My kids have this this book called, called 
it's called Crossing or something like that. It's, it's a, a train book. And it's about a, a train coming through town and, and this, this railroad crossing. And, and it's just this beautifully illustrated book. But there's one page on this, in this book that drives me crazy. As this train is, is hurtling through town, it shows this picture of these, these children at the, at the crossing. And they're kind of like looking at each other through the, through the, the train cars in between them. And they're kind of laughing and giggling at each other. And I, I want to take the children and, and like grab them by the backs of their shirts and say, get away from the train. And we ta- every time we come to that page, I, I tell my kids, don't do this. Stay away from a train hurtling through the town. Not a good idea. Not a place to play around. Now, what Paul is doing here in verse 18 is he sees some people not just around a train, but he sees some people who have seated themselves on a train track. And not only are they seated on this train track, they're taking out rope and tying themselves to it. And he sees the the train of God's wrath hurling down upon them, and he's saying, watch out, you are in danger. God's wrath is coming. And and who are these people that have tied themselves to the track? Well, these are people he describes in verse 18 as unrighteous people. And what are they doing that's unrighteous? They're suppressing the truth about God. People have an understanding of who God is within them. And our natural tendency is to suppress that knowledge. Look again at the text at verse 19. What else does he tell us? He tells us that not only is there this internal understanding of who God is, he says in verse 19, for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. His invisible attributes, verse 20, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so they are without excuse. This is the same idea that we see in in Psalm 19. Psalm 19 talks about God's revelation. Psalm 19 verse 1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims his handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge. There's no speech, nor are there words whose voice is not heard. In other words, all the created realm cries out, There's a God. Worship him. And not just a a general, there's a God, kind of this mystical guy somewhere. Romans 1 tells us that the created realm, ever since the first day of creation, uh, proclaims his eternal power, his divine nature, that, that is some specific characteristics of Yahweh God. So every person who's ever been born, who has the ability to perceive and to think, has a voice within them saying, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. They can look out at the fields of corn, and it says the corn proclaims there's a God, there's a God, there's a God. They look up in the, sc- the sky at night, and they see the expanse of the universe, and the stars proclaim there's a God, there's an eternal God, there's a sovereign God, there's a creator God. Worship him. And as we live in the culture that we live now, even more science as it looks into to quantum physics and it looks into to the atom and as it looks into the, the expanse of the universe and realizes the, how big the universe is, it, it screams out, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God, worship him. And Paul tells us, Paul tells us that as man 
and woman continues to see this revelation from God, crying out, there's a God, there's a God, there's a God, worship him, men and women continually say, no, no, I will not. Inside us, there's a voice, there's a God. Nope, nope, no, there's not, no, there's not, no, there's not. There's Yahweh God, worship him. Nope, nope, that's not, that's not true. Look again at the text, what happens next. There's this wrath of God coming on those who are unrighteous, who are suppressing the truth. And then look at verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And listen to this trade they make. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So within the human heart, there's an understanding of of eternity. There's an understanding of an an omnipotent God, of a sovereign God. Creation cries out, there's a sovereign God. Do what he says. There's a sovereign God. He's eternal from eternity past to eternity future. And and there's been a creation by an eternal God who's outside of creation. And, And all this is revealed. And our tendency is to say, no, there isn't that type of God. And and what does he say? And, And then there's a trade that's made. There's a trade for this eternal God, this sovereign God, this God who's revealed himself and how he wants us to live. Men and women take that God and say, no, I think I'll take something else. And they switch it out. They make an exchange. And they exchange the eternal God for a God that's more in line with what they want God to be. I found out something very interesting about my kids last night. We were talking about this this passage, and I found out, we were talking about trading, you know, do you understand what trading is? Do you understand what what a bad trade is? I found out that my kids, um, they have something they call Wednesday Trading Day. Is that right? Yeah, Wednesday Trading Day. I guess it's some black market thing that's going on inside our, our home. But they take, and I found out something else. They have these things they call their, their junk piles. Their piles of junk. I, I don't know why these still exist in our home. But uh, they have these, these, and they get together and they trade their, their different uh, junk. Now, I, I asked them, I said, well, has anyone ever made like a bad trade? Do you sometimes trade something like, man, I wish I hadn't traded that? They said, no, Dad, because we don't put our, the stuff that we really value out there to trade. That that makes sense. Well, people, humanity has done something incredibly foolish. They've taken something valuable, someone valuable, they've taken the most, the the thing of, of infinite value, God, and they've traded him for something worthless, for a worthless religion. Grown-ups, let me put it this way, imagine that you had, uh, someone gave you 10,000 shares of, of Big Yellow, of Caterpillar stock, I think it's like $87 a share right now. And, and someone said, hey, I'll, I will trade you your 10,000 shares of Caterpillar stock for some Facebook stock. Uh, not doing too great. Not the, not the magic stock. We thought, I'll, how about we trade, okay? Well, you wouldn't take that trade. You say, that's, that's a foolish exchange to make. Well, humanity has made a foolish exchange. In fact, if you want to, turn back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 46 
Isaiah is after the book of Psalms. It kind of occurs in the middle of the Bible. There's some shorter books, and then you come to kind of a, a big book, the big book of Isaiah, before Jeremiah. In Isaiah chapter 46, God talks about this trade that people make. Verse 5 of Isaiah 46, he says, To whom will you liken me and make me equal and compare me that we may be alike? I'm just curious, says God, uh, who exactly are you going to compare me to? I mean, I know sometimes you say, you know, that my friend really reminds me of so-and-so. or You know, that guy, he kind of looks like, so- who do you compare God to? There's no one like him. He's he's beyond comprehension. He's beyond comparison. And then he says, verse 6, those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh out silver in the scales hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. And then they fall down and worship. They lift it to their shoulders. They carry it. They set it on its place. It stands there. It cannot move from place to place. If one cries to it, it does not answer or save him from his trouble. And so people have taken Yahweh God, and they've, they've made for themselves these little things out of gold, and they make it, and then they fall down, and they worship it, and they cry to it, and it does nothing. Remember this and stand firm. Recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things of old, for I am God, and there is no other. I am God, and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning, and from ancient times things not yet done, saying, my counsel shall stand, and I will accomplish all my purpose. God, Yahweh God, is going to do exactly what he said he's going to do. He is unlike anyone. He's unlike anything that we can comprehend, imagine. He is sovereign. In Psalm 106, verse 20, the psalmist says, they exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. God has been exchanged for an idol, and trading the true God, trading the true God for a false God is always, always, always a foolish trade. Say, Daniel, what in the world does this have to do with sexuality? (laughs) I thought this was a PG-13 message. We'll stop and think here for a moment. Last week, I suggested to you that God designed sexuality as as a means to to know him, as a means to understand him more fully, that that marriage relationship between a a man and a woman is is a picture of the union between Christ and his church and the intimacy that will be experienced for eternity. John Piper puts it this way. He says, sexuality is designed by God as a way to know God in Christ more fully. Knowing God in Christ more fully is designed as a way of guarding and guiding our sexuality. All misuses of our sexuality distort the true knowledge of Christ. Then he says this, and I believe this is beautifully worded, God made us powerfully sexual. God made us powerfully sexual so that he would be more deeply knowable. We were given the power to know each other sexually so that we might have some hint at what it will be like to know Christ supremely. Therefore, all misuses of our sexuality, adultery, fornication, illicit fantasies, masturbation, pornography, homosexual behavior, rape, sexual child abuse, 
uh, bestiality, exhibitionism, so on and so forth and so on. All of these sexual deviancies from what God calls us to do, Piper says, distort the true knowledge of God. God means for human sexual life to be a pointer and a foretaste of our relationship with him. As we practice idolatry, what we do is we say this, God, I'm not satisfied with who you are. I'm not content with how you tell me to live, and and therefore I'm going to fashion a God for me to worship that's ultimately me worshiping myself. That's the essence of idolatry. You can see why idolatry leads to immorality. That's the second thing I want us to to touch on is, is this. Immorality then, immorality in verses 24 through 32, immorality is the result of and God's judgment on idolatry. So immorality results from idolatry. We practice idolatry, and it it leads to immorality. And and idolatry leads to immorality, and God's judgment is also immorality. Immorality is the result of and God's judgment on idolatry. So now we're going to talk through these things, and and some of these things uh, may make you a little bit uncomfortable, okay? And, And if they do, uh, take solace in this. Um, at least you're not the one having to say them, okay? Or at least you're not married to the one. That's I mean, at least you're not Whitney, too. I mean, imagine how uncomfortable she's going to be this morning. She said this morning, she goes, I'm feeling a little bit tired this morning. I said, you're going to be fine. Uh, you're going to be on the edge of your seat. What's he going to say next? Um, so let's, let's look at this. Let's look at this idea that immorality, Sexual immorality specifically is the result of and God's judgment on idolatry. As people practice idolatry, as they reject God's uh, re- revelation of who he is, and they begin to worship themselves, immorality is the result in, in God's judgment. There's, uh, in verses 24 through 32, there's a phrase that's repeated three times. And it's the phrase, uh, God gave them up. God gave them up. It's a phrase that we see used throughout Scripture to describe God's judgment. So, for example, in 2 Peter 2, 4, it says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but he, he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness. He, he committed them. He, he gave them up. Matthew 18, 34 says, the master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. He, he gave them up to the jailers. And so uh, what we see in verses 24 through 32 is that God gives up sometimes individuals or a culture to the sin that they're committed to committing. So, for example, an individual says, I want to engage in, in sexual immorality. And, and God says, well, okay, and, and allows as men reject him, he rejects them. And gives them up to the sin that they desire to pursue. So look at verse 24. Verse 24 says that God therefore gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity. To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. And and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And so the first thing we see about God giving people up, the first thing that we see here is that God gives idolaters over to impurity. We see that God gives idolaters over to impurity in verses 24 
and 25. The word lusts of their heart is a word that means to, to crave, to, to desire. Matthew 5, 28, Jesus says, I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with a, a lustful, a cra- with a lustful craving intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Galatians 5, 16, Paul says, I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the, the lusts, the, the, the desires, the flesh. 2 Timothy 2, 22, flee youthful lusts, cravings, passions, and, and pursue righteousness, faith, love, peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. 1 Peter 1.14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the, the passions, the lusts of your former ignorance. And so that word lust there describes these, these cravings that people have. And, pe- and as people abandon God, as they, they practice idolatry, reject the true knowledge of God, and, and fashion this, this, this God for themselves, God gives them up to that. He allows them to pursue their, their lusts, their cravings. And what are their cravings? Well, he's described these, these cravings of, of hearts of uh, lust of their hearts to impurity, that's, that's immorality. Throughout Scripture, we see this, this word that's translated impurity described in kind of a catalog of sexual sins. It's kind of an overarching term to, to describe immorality. For example, Ephesians 5, 3 says, Sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not even be named among you. Colossians 3, 5, Put to death what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Ephesians 4.19 says they become callous and give themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of, of impurity. And so part of God's judgment upon a people as they reject knowledge of him and embrace a false God, part of God's judgment on them is not just a future judgment, not just a future wrath, but right now, in the present, allowing them to pursue impurity. Sometimes people look at the culture around us, and they say, boy, look, look at all the, the sensuality and look at all the sexuality that, that's been u- misused by, by people in the name of freedom, and, and they say, someday God is really going to judge our culture. Dads, listen. Moms, kids, I would suggest to you that you and I are currently experiencing God's judgment. Our culture right now at this very moment is experiencing the judgment of God. We are a culture that has been given over to impurity and immorality. And what people think is their freedom is in reality the judgment of God upon us. There's a book by, uh, by, by the way, the book I quoted earlier, uh, John Piper, that book is called Sex, Sex and the Supremacy of God. Sex and the Supremacy of God. Excellent, excellent book. Highly recommended. It's written by several different authors. But let me read you a few quotes from a book called Wired for Intimacy. And let me demonstrate why I believe it's, it's right to say that God's judgment is not just future, but right now we're experiencing the judgment of God. Let me just give you some some things that I I think describe a culture that's already been given over to God's judgment. Number one, uh, we see that people are surrounded by immorality. We see that people are surrounded by immorality. 
Struthers writes in this book, Wired for Intimacy, he says, we live in a world that has been hypersexualized. It's hard to get through the day without being battered and numbed by the intrusions of pornography. He says, many people have asked me if I've ever looked at pornography. And when I tell them that I find many things on television or on newsstands pornographic, they frown. Apparently, this makes me a prude, and a prude is worse than a hypocrite. Yes, I viewed pornography because it is everywhere. You cannot get away from it. If you don't view it intentionally, you will unintentionally. The result is that repeated exposure to pornography and the objectification of the body changes the way our brains see each other. The estimated financial size of the worldwide sex industry is around $57 billion dollars with 12 billion, just over 20% coming from the United States alone. And that's just legal sex industry. I believe that the fact that we are immersed in a culture of immorality is God's judgment upon us, allowing a culture awash in immorality to continue to pursue immorality. Another sign that we're currently undergoing God's judgment is that people are being hurt. Struthers writes, I view pornography as an institutional evil that preys upon the disaffected, the wounded, and the desperate members of society. And if you've done any research at all into the, the, the types of people that pornography and pornography producers uh, target, you know that the people who are affected the most are those who are the very uh, lowest levels of society, those who have been abused by parents, those who have been abused by uh, family members, those who have found themselves addicted to, to drugs, strung out, those are the people that find themselves in this world of pornography and immorality in terms of this production. John MacArthur writes this, he says, no society in history has given more attention to caring to the body than has the modern Western world, yet no society has caused more degradation of the body. The more human life is exalted for its own sake, the more it is debased. In tragic irony, the same society that glorifies the body has no regard for the body. The same society that exalts man incessantly degrades him. Humanism rejects God, therefore it has no basis for man's dignity. Therefore, in the name of humanism, humanity is dehumanized. Now, fallen man refuses to recognize that in rejecting God, they reject the only source and measure of man's dignity. So I believe that we're already under God's judgment because we're awash in a culture that's pursuing immorality. We are people who are being hurt by immorality. We are people who are trapped in immorality. As Struthers, quoting the United States Attorney General Commission on Pornography, says the myth about porn is that it frees the libido, gives people an outlet for sexual expression that liberates the mind and body. The U.S. Attorney General said, I've, I found that pornography not only does not liberate but on the contrary, it's a source of bondage. People become addicted to the fantasy. There's an entire chapter in the book, Wired for Intimacy, that talks about how pornography alters the, the chemical makeup of the mind and, and produces kind of like a, a, a pattern that becomes very difficult apart from the gospel to overcome and, and rethinking, rewiring the mind. I believe that we're also in a culture awash in immorality as a sign of God's judgment and that people are unable to experience the intimacy that God provides for us in marriage. Struthers writes, pornography takes human sexuality out of its natural context, intimacy between two human beings, and makes it a, a product to be bought and, and sold. 
Even a feminist, Naomi Wolf, argues that pornography, as it's moved in the mainstream culture, has harmed the culture. And she, she talks about how feminists believe that, they, that pornography would turn men into raving sexual beasts. Instead, she says, over the years, the pervasiveness of pornography has rendered men less sexually responsive to real women. In other words, this relationship, the sexuality that God gave us in order to help us be able to know him more fully by, by having a man and a woman come together in marriage and understand intimacy and commitment and companionship and sexuality being a, a key component of that, instead of that beautiful thing allowing to, to take place, we've exchanged what's real for fantasy. We live in these worlds that are, that are concocted, both, both men and women, not understanding true biblical intimacy and fail to receive the, the joy of intimacy that God provides for us in marriage. That's why I say judgment isn't just some future thing. God's judgment is currently being poured out on our culture as he gives us up to immorality. Now, we don't have time, I don't believe, to go into the, the next things that we're going to talk about. So let me just kind of let me kind of close with a little bit of hope. Not, not close, don't close your Bibles yet. We're not closing, closing. Don't you always get, get excited when we're going to close the next 10 minutes. Let me kind of bring this morning to, to a little bit more of a conclusion because I don't want to just, just stop here. A couple things that I want to encourage you with. A few thoughts. First of all, it's Father's Day. Dads, Man up, repent of sin, and allow your children to experience the protection of a godly home. Do not allow your home to be a home that's been given up, given over to impurity. I encourage you, those of you who have fallen into morality, that the forgiveness that, that God provides, the the forgiveness that God freely offers to those who repent of sin and say, this, this is not something that I desire to be a part of my life any longer. Psalm 25, verse 6, the psalmist says, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love. They've been from of old. Remember not the sins of my youth. Remember not my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me for the sake of your goodness, O Lord. And many of you, as you think about the sins that have taken place in the past, the sins that still have a draw on your heart, you need to, to meditate upon Psalm 25, 6 and 7. God, remember not the sins of my youth. Remember not my transgressions, those things that are in the past. Allow me not to dwell on them. Allow them to be in the past. and Allow me to pursue you and to pursue your face and to behold your glory. Let me, um, let me also give you a, a little tool that you may find helpful. It's an acronym, and uh, this, is, this is taken from Desiring God. Uh, this, this, this acronym is the acronym ANTHEM, A-N-T-H-E-M. It may be helpful for those who find themselves attempted to become a part of a culture that is given over to impurity. The A, the A stands for avoid, avoid. As much as is possible and reasonable, and avoid the, the sights and situations that arouse unfitting desire, Again, 2 Timothy 2.22, flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness. So A, avoid. N, say no. N, say no to every lustful thought quickly. 
say it with the authority of Jesus Christ. As those of you who went on the youth camp this last week, remember what John Owen said? You should be killing sin or what? It will be killing you. James 4, 7, resist the devil and he will flee from you. So A, avoid as much as possible the sights and situations that arouse unfitting desire. In say no to lustful thoughts or, or thoughts that, that may not even be described uh, technically as, as lustful, but go against God's design for your life in, in terms of relationships or, or intimacy. Uh, then T, turn. Turn the mind forcefully toward Christ as a superior satisfaction. You see, just saying no isn't going to suffice. Just saying no to these attitudes, these thoughts, isn't sufficient. Instead, turn, not just say no, but turn your mind toward Jesus Christ. The Bible calls lusts deceitful desires. They, they lie, they, they promise things that they can't deliver. Ignorance is defeated by knowledge. H, H, hold the promise and the pleasure of Christ firmly in your mind until it pushes the other images out. Fix your eyes upon Jesus, Hebrews 3.1 tells us. I believe this is where a lot of people fail. You know, we begin by saying, no, we, okay, I know those things are wrong, but boy, I've, I've held out for 15 minutes, for 20 minutes, for half an hour on these, these, these thoughts or whatever it is, and God's word calls us to hold, to continue to see Jesus Christ. E, E, enjoy Enjoy a superior satisfaction. Right? Cultivate the capacities for pleasure in Christ. You know, uh, sin does offer reward. Uh, pursuing that relationship with that guy that you know that your parents don't want you to be involved in a relationship with him, pursuing those images that you know God doesn't want you to view, though there is reward in disobedience. There is reward that sin promises you. E, enjoy, tells us, look, Enjoy the promises that Christ offers and recognizes, recognize their superiority to the promise, the promises of sin. Satisfy us in the morning, Psalm 90, 14 tells us. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Then M, M, move into a useful activity away from idleness and other vulnerable desires. Remember we said that immorality begins with idolatry, begins with self-worship, and so often we find ourselves when we're engaged in, in immorality and, and wrong, wrong thoughts or attitudes or actions, our, our focus is very self-directed. This article encourages us to, to move away from those, those things and move into to service of others and the things that, that God is calling you to do. Avoid, A, anthem, avoid, N, say no, T, turn, H, hold, E, enjoy, M, move. My encouragement to you this morning is, is we've got a lot more to talk about as we think about deviations from God's plan for marriage. But the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, offers us the hope of being delivered from unrighteousness to unrighteousness, to righteousness. As we'll look at Paul's words next week in Romans chapter 1, we see that Paul is not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes. This morning, if, if you've found yourself engaged in immorality, you've found yourself in a life that hasn't brought satisfaction, my encouragement to you isn't just to kind of whitewash your life, to say, you know what, I'm going to start doing things better now. My encouragement to you is to see the person of Jesus Christ, 
the hope that's offered through faith in him to turn from sin and turn to faith in Jesus Christ alone on the basis of his work, his death, and resurrection. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word that does offer us hope, that offers us joy. We pray that for those who are in the bondage of idolatry that's led to immorality, you would offer them your, your freedom and your grace. We pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.